Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com. Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Hello, thank you for checking out the Top Docs Radio Show this week. I'm C.W. Hall, your host. On this week's show, I continued my monthly series I've been hosting with the Medical Association of Georgia. MAG CEO and Executive Director Donald Pomizano Jr. joined us in the studio. He brought with him Dr. John Rogers, who is co-medical director for the emergency department at Coliseum Northside Hospital located in Macon, Georgia. Dr. Rogers is also a member of the MAG House of Delegates through the Bibb County Medical Association. The focus of this week's conversation centered heavily around taking a look at some proposed mergers between several large health insurance companies. Aetna and Humana currently have a proposed merger before the Department of Justice for review, and Anthem slash WellPoint and Cigna are also looking at merging. And if you take a look around the healthcare insurance landscape today in Georgia, particularly in the rural areas, many of the policies that are available for the healthcare consumer out there or patients to purchase have extremely narrow networks, leaving out many of the physicians that are local to them in their communities, forcing them to look outside of where they live for a physician that would meet their particular needs. And in many cases, a physician who thought he was contracted with a given insurer finds out later, particularly when a patient gets an explanation of benefits, that now in fact they are out of network and they didn't even realize that change had occurred. Part of the concern here around the issue of these large mergers, in addition to creating basically a monopoly where as many as 90% of patients or nearly so would be taken care of in the individual market by Aetna Humana combining. Today, if in the current environment, we're already seeing some challenging processes in place as it relates to the way these policies are changed, the way they're developed and structured in our current market, if these companies come together to create these large conglomerates with limited competition, what will the health insurance market be at that point? Both for the healthcare consumers purchasing these policies policies, believing that they will help them in the time of need when they require some sort of medical care, as well as to the physicians who must negotiate with the health insurance company that in the situation where they have extremely limited competition, what sort of contract negotiation will there be when there really aren't very many choices for the physician as to whether or not they participate? This could ultimately lead to and or exacerbate physician shortages in areas that are already hurting for physician coverage. Here's Donald talking about the issue at hand. What we're seeing right now is what we thought was going to happen when the Affordable Care Act went into law was that you would have much more consolidation across the healthcare landscape. And what we're seeing right now is Aetna's in the position to merge with Humana, as well as WellPoint or Anthem, which is also known as Blue Cross Blue Shield of Georgia, is in the process of merging with Cigna. And so those two mergers are before the Department of Justice, as well as before the State Insurance Commissioner's Office. And obviously, physicians have a big concern with these mergers because you will have fewer players in the marketplace, which will decrease competition. Physicians are already dealing with their offices a number of administrative hassles from credentialing issues when they bring on new partners or prior authorizations and pre-certifications when dealing with patients. And so when you have fewer companies in the marketplace, it's not as if those administrative hassles decrease, they only seem to increase. And that's what a lot of the concern that we have with these mergers comes from. What we're finding very interesting through this is that these narrow networks are caused by the insurers themselves for failing to adequately contract with physicians out there, resulting in these unsuspecting patients buying these policies that actually don't provide the coverage that they think that that they're supposedly buying, right? So then the insurers are now nationally trying to drive some sort of prohibition or some sort of regulation of -of out-of-network charges by physicians in order to basically set rates. Stick around. We've got the full interview with Donald Palmazano Jr. and Dr. John Rogers coming up next. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on the Top Docs Radio Show. Thanks for making us a part of your day again today. As it happens, second Tuesday of the month, we are continuing our series that we've been having going now for, yes, a little over a year now with the Medical Association of Georgia. Got to meet Donald Pomisano, I think, September of last year. That's correct. That's Donald Pomisano right there, the CEO, Executive Director of Medical Association of Georgia. And since then, we've been collaborating, having you guys join us every month, talking about the host of different things that you're focused on, from advocacy at the Capitol to 
the programs like Think About It and other issues that you've been working on to the betterment of the patient population in our state, as well as for the physician working environment. And you brought with you Dr. John Rogers, who is from Macon. He's one of the medical directors for the Coliseum Northside Hospital down there in, in the emergency department. And actually also happens to be one of the delegates for Bibb County Medical Society at MAG. And so I'm really pleased that you made the journey up to the studio here, Dr. Rogers, to join us today. Pleasure to be here. One of the topics that has surfaced sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly over the last year or so, Donald, is this the, the change in landscape ever since the ACA really began to get implemented in real force and, and more in entirety and how it's impacted the landscape, particularly, obviously, in the insurance arena. And then not too awful long ago, in the last months, we've been hearing about large-scale mergers between some of the insurance companies. I mean, big players that we're talking about here. I know consolidation in healthcare is one of those things that happens, but we're talking about companies that are extremely large with regards to their, I guess, ownership of the patient population that they manage and serve. So it could have a significant impact on our experience as it relates to our insurance world. Absolutely correct. And what we're seeing right now is what we thought was going to happen when the Affordable Care Act went into law was that you would have much more consolidation across the healthcare landscape. And what we're seeing right now is Aetna's in the position to merge with Humana, as well as WellPoint or Anthem, which is also known as Blue Cross Blue Shield of Georgia, is in the process of merging with Cigna. And so those two mergers are before the Department of Justice, as well as before the State Insurance Commissioner's Office. And obviously, physicians have a big concern with these mergers because you will have fewer players in the marketplace, which will decrease increased competition. And some of the information that I was looking at is getting ready for the show was talking about the fact that between Aetna and Anthem, those two entities would, would end up managing the, 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 the care or insurance side of things for almost 90% of the individuals in Georgia. That's, that's pretty staggering. In the individual market, absolutely correct, almost 90%. In the small, because when the, the way the insurance commissioner breaks it down within their office is to look at the 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 type of market that the insurance carriers are in, and so when you talk about the small group market, if both of these mergers were to happen, you're looking at about 82 percent would be between these two new companies. If you're looking at the large group market, about 69.8 percent, and if you're looking at the Medicare Advantage market, you're looking at about 71.5 percent with these two new companies controlling that much of the market. It would seem to me, and it's not to say that, uh, you know, companies are, are going to set out to do nefarious things whenever, you know, they become larger through merger and acquisition. But I guess, I guess there, at least there's a perception of value in lots of choices in terms of competition and, and being able to uh, have market forces, I guess, control what my experience is like as a consumer. It was, I, I guess we're going to have to invest a fair amount of hope that if this does come to pass and that these do, do go through, that we'll be treated well, even though you're the big guy and taking care of nine out of ten of us. Well, you know, I think the concern, <laughs> and I think Dr. Rogers can talk directly to this point, is that it really lessens competition. Right. And so physicians are already dealing with their offices a number of administrative hassles from credentialing issues when they bring on new partners or prior authorizations and pre-certifications when dealing with patients. And so when you have fewer companies in the marketplace, it's not as if those administrative hassles decrease. They only seem to increase. And that's what a lot of the concern that we have with these mergers comes from. And from what I understand, uh, as the, the physicians practicing in the state have looked at these changes and these developments with regards to the proposed mergers, that a lot of the physicians out there, and of course, Dr. Rogers being one, you could probably talk about your own position, I suppose, or what your colleagues talk about, but it sounded like you know a good number of physicians are kind of a little nervous, if you will, about what does that mean for me long-term um, with limited companies that I'm doing contracts with. So... The promise of consolidation is that through efficiencies gained, they're going to pass along those savings, but it doesn't happen. And uh, what's been shown is actually that um, costs actually go up. The cost to the uh, customers goes up. Their premiums go up. And then also um, what the insurance companies are willing to pay for their services goes down. And um, physicians and patients both lose. Um, By consolidation, 
they're able to control so much of the market, they have a very, very heavy hand and can really sway things in their favor, and they do. And so from what I understand, these aren't done yet. Is that correct? They're, That's they're proposed, correct. And, and as you mentioned, they're before the, the DOJ for approval. I mean, what, what factors? Because, I mean, surely we can't be the only ones. As, as many of our listeners know, uh, I work with a medical practice myself when I'm not here in the studio and, and certainly have seen the effects of these recent developments with regards to just the ACA going into effect, for example. Um, you know, are there things that we can be doing um, to illuminate some of those issues? I mean, we can't be the only ones that know that. Hopefully some, you know, some measure of objectivity can be gained uh, looking at, well, I'm not sure if having 90% share of the individual market is a good thing for one company to have. It's, it's not, right? So um, there's, a, there's a theory in, in economics and business called the rule of threes, that as markets evolve, eventually you kind of consolidate to, to, to three large players. Mm-hmm. Think about the automakers. Think about the airlines. Right. Have those consolidations benefit the consumers? Think about your airline. Have those efficiencies been transferred to you in lower fares? Only when disruptors come into the market does that happen, seems like. And, and that's the same thing that will happen here, and that's our concern. And I believe there's a huge concern that this actually violates Georgia law by decreasing competition to such a level that it's uh, really in not, not the best interests of the citizens of Georgia. As I mentioned when we were starting the show, that you're, you're one of the members of the House of Delegates for the Medical Association of Georgia. As a Correct. physician, you participate in the efforts of the Medical Association of Georgia and you know, have a voice. You get to share your voice and the voice of your colleagues there. Um, are there things that the, the members of the association can be doing, um, whether it's reaching out to, I don't know if it would, in this case, would it be legislators? How, how do you, how, how can the, the members of the medical community, along with patients who are paying attention, is there somebody we can be calling to say, hey, we don't, we don't necessarily want this, if that's the general consensus? So I, I think first is to shine the light on the problem and, and the truth, uh, to share that with the legislators and the regulators, as well as the insurance commissioner but also to make sure that patients understand what's happening. And what's happening is a lot of the costs of care are being shifted to them yep. without their knowledge and without them really understanding it. The, the whole policies that they have are very complex, almost to the degree, degree that they're incomprehensible. And... You know, on that topic, I mean, I know that one of the things that is is a focus, obviously, is cost containment and things like that. And and you mentioned the fact that patient obligations have changed quite a bit in the last probably 18 months in particular, a um, little over ever since the end of 2013 when everybody's uh, – the, the, the savings didn't seem to come to pass. Everybody's deductible went up pretty significantly. So the, the patient's obligation is, is there and – and it has increased significantly, and there, that creates a situation because one of the things that uh, that I've always seen since I've been associated with healthcare is when it comes to healthcare reform, it means I'm my 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 doctor is getting paid less. Um, and that seems to be the measure of cost savings is we got to pay those evil doctors less. Um, but a component of that increased patient obligation has been that sometimes there's a gap between what insurance is covering and what the patient's obligation is, and and that leaves the physician in the place where they have to bill the patient for the balance, if you will, the balance billing and, and all of that. I mean, how does that Cor- affect cor- you and your practice? Correct. So, well, I'll, I'll tell you how it affects patients. Many of them are showing up in the ED because they can't find a physician in their network. Um, the insurance companies are not providing full benefit of the premiums that patients are paying. And the number of physicians that are willing to accept the very low rates that insurance companies are providing is getting less and less in the, in the narrow, narrower the network. And patients are slowing up in the ED every day because they can't find someone. They, and also, so th- think about this. Since 1999, uh, cost of living has gone up about 43%. Wages have gone up about 47%. That's a good thing. Your health care premium dollars have gone up 170%, four times as much. 
But what are you getting for those dollars? You're getting less. That's right. And a lot of the cost of care has been transferred to patients. So since uh, 2011, $575 million has been transferred to patients in the form of higher deductibles, higher copays. And patients don't quite understand that. Physicians have always sent a balance bill, the difference between what the insurance will agree to pay and the obligation. But policies also never fully pay, right? They're usually only 60 to 80%, and patients have that 20%, 30% that they're going to have to pay out of pocket. Right. All of those out-of-pocket costs, including the deductible, have gone up dramatically, and patients are getting less. And I guess that's where the the potential disconnect can be for the patients from the perspective of understanding this isn't something nefarious that your doctor is doing. Your your bill's not going up because he's charging you more. It's that your your stated obligation, I guess, if you will, based on the policy that you have has gone up. And therefore, now there's a more noticeable gap than what you would have seen before. Correct. Yeah. And, and one of the things that we're seeing nationally is that these narrow networks that have formed, especially with the Affordable Care Act that has come about, is that you now have these extremely very narrow networks. So what that means is that a lot of the physicians are out of the network. And a lot of times the patients are buying these policies, not realizing who is actually in the network. So then those physicians that do not have a contract with the insurance company, because the insurance company has chosen not to contract with them, they then have to balance bill the patient. Okay, And so now there's been what seems to be a strategy from the health insurers just in time when these mergers are coming through to now go after the physicians and to say, doctor, your balance bill is egregious to the patient and it's abusive. (laughs) I would agree with that, but it's just not being done on purpose by the physician. Right. And so when you look at it, (laughs) it's egregious, but from a different perspective. And it was funny because we've actually um, in print a couple weeks ago, one of the major insurers actually came out and called the physicians greedy. And we were in shock when we saw that because We've never seen them actually go on an offensive to that extent in the past. And so it's just interesting how it's tied to the mergers now. And so what we are finding very interesting through this is that these narrow networks are caused by the insurers themselves for failing to adequately contract with physicians out there, resulting in these unsuspecting patients buying these policies that actually don't provide the coverage that they think that that they're supposedly buying, right? So then the insurers are now nationally trying to drive some sort of prohibition or some sort of regulation of -of out-of-network charges by physicians in order to basically set rates which I find interesting enough, is that a problem is created by the insurers and the solution is to run to the government to solve the problem that they have created. (laughs) And that's where we are today. And then this way, they can then argue that the mergers will produce efficiencies and lower the premiums to the patients, which we all know is not going to happen. Have we got any good examples of that actually being what ends up being the the outcome of of a large-scale merger. Do we have any examples where that's actually happened, where the the patient's end of things, the premiums have gone down, or co- you know their their obligation has actually improved? I have yet to see that. I, I, I have not. So th- there actually is some information. I don't have the exact numbers for you, but the uh, best information comes from the acquiring of physician practices by uh, hospitals. So um, here, too, the idea is that they're providing greater efficiencies than these physicians can do in their offices by themselves. And yet the uh, cost of care to the patients has gone up, not because physicians are ordering more tests or doing more things, but because they're being charged more. It all has to do with price. Let me ask you a question. So you're an insurance company executive, and you have 90% of the population controlled in your program in that particular community. What incentive do you have to negotiate with the physicians in that community? You have none. And so um, that is an extremely powerful thing. It is almost unilateral. It's almost a monopoly. And they're really abusing that. The the issue really boils down to failure to negotiate fairly with the physicians. They have no incentive to do so. 
And if there's if the ban on if, if there's a ban on balance billing, they're going to have even less of an of an incentive to talk. So now it's being proposed based on what you're saying, Dr. Rogers, that that the practice of being able to assess a bill for whatever the remaining balance of that cost of care is, that it's being proposed that that you just have to take whatever the insurance piece will pay. Correct, and that's kind of rate setting by the. Uh, unilaterally rate setting. Uh, Congressman Doggett from Texas has introduced um, a bill in Washington called the End Surprise Billing Act. And basically it would prohibit this balanced billing. Um, I think the surprise is the amount of -of out-of-pocket expense that patients have to pay. They were completely unaware of their obligation that really insurance companies have set up. Patients are really... Um, being penalized. They're not getting the full benefit of their premium dollar. And and just to follow up on that, I have personally asked uh, the major insurers in the Atlanta market to provide any sort of examples that they have of where a patient has received an egregious bill from a physician and that the patient actually paid themselves. And to date, this has been two months then you would think they would have that information. I would imagine it'd be pretty handy. Exactly, and I have yet to receive one piece of evidence where the the, the patient has had a bill over five hundred dollars, and that it, it came as a surprise to the patient, and the patient came out of pocket themselves. And so we've asked the insurers, give us the evidence because we want to see what you're talking. We want to see if there's really a problem out there, because what we're hearing is we're just hearing these anecdotal pieces that you're providing, but you're not showing us the evidence of it and let us take a look at it and let us see the data. I know the practice in in our medical office is that if I'm a, if I've got a patient that's coming to uh, get care the process is uh, on the early end of it, when we're sitting down going through the insurance picture and all of that we're able to assess this is what the picture will be based on your plan this is this is what the insurance would cover. This is what, you, you know, they know right up front what this is the most that you would anticipate. It may be less than this, but this is assuming that you went through this course of treatment and went through that full course of care. This is what your picture is going to look like. And then we can then work with them. We can't abolish that obligation. Um, we can't, even if we wanted to, from what I understand, up to this point, we've not been able to say, oh, don't worry about your deductible, for example, or your copay, rather. Um, um, and, and so, because that was illegal. You can't waive the right. copay. Correct. Correct. Um, and, and so the, we've been able then proactively to say, uh, you know, you're, you're, as it happens, your, your situation is such that your obligation as a patient is, you know, this much, but we can work with you on how to, how to handle that. So this is where emergency medicine, emergency department's unique. Right, uh, when you're having chest pain, when you think you're having a life, <laughs> we're not going to have that conversation. You're, you're not going <laughs> to, right? Yeah. And there's no time to do that kind of stuff, and it's and it's really um, we shouldn't put patients That's right. through that kind of thing. I agree. For uh, or their family members sitting there trying to cor- sit in a correct. in a billing office when their loved one is in. In grave and, danger. And, and actually, the, w- whether or not you're, you even have insurance or whether you're in or out of network, when, when you're there in front of us, physicians don't care. We just want to take care of you. And, and that, that's the bottom line. Um, so I have the data for the emergency medicine part of this. Only about 4 to 7% of patients that present to the ED end up in an out-of-network situation. And the average amount that that extra bill is, is less than $100. Wow. However, emergency departments see 150 million patients a year. So the number is big and the, the over- aggregate number. Exactly. So we can say millions of dollars and all the people in the community go, oh my gosh, these terrible a, physicians. Right. It's the aggregate. That, that's, the, that's the thing. The, um, the Accountable Care Act was supposed to make insurance affordable. It didn't. But there's another part of that, right? It was really the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, Accountable Care Act. Patient protection. It was there to help protect patients. And about um, the billing and the finance part of it, it really called about uh, two two things. One was that um, 
pairs, we're supposed to use the greatest of three rule. They're in-network rate, Medicare rate, or usual and customary, and they were supposed to pay whatever the greatest of that was. The problem with that was the usual and customary, which was what they decided usual and customary was, using data that they had themselves. They got into trouble in that in New York, called the Ingenix uh, case. The attorney general had to sue them and got hundreds of millions of dollars out of the insurance industry because they found out they really were underpaying. The other thing, though, is that uh, insurance companies are supposed to meet the medical loss ratio. They're supposed to have at least 80 to 85% of their premium dollars going directly to medical care, not to their administrative costs. I've heard it's 40 to 60 cents on the dollar in some cases. It's a lot. I, that, that, I mean, that, that's going to administrative costs is cor- what I'm saying. Correct. So here, uh, I think it was in 2011, they ended up having to give rebates back to their patients uh, approaching a billion dollars because they didn't make that, that loss ratio. A, a lot of the profits of uh, insurance companies are, are going um, – to uh, their own uh, shareholders right. or their own CEOs. Um, you have to wonder if the United uh, Healthcare CEO truly deserves $100 million a year in compensation. Wow, that's pretty good. That's a lot. I'd like, I'd like that job. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking with Donald Pomisano of Medical Association of Georgia and his colleague, Dr. John Rogers, one of the members of the House of Delegates in Bibb County for the Medical Association of Georgia. We've been talking about the changing landscape in the healthcare space, um, discussing the fact that some very large players that were individually uh, significant uh, owners of a large share of managing you know, large patient populations, and now they're proposing to come together in a couple of uh, large mergers that would mean that in some cases as many as 90% of, of individual policies be managed by a single company, which as we've been talking about here, raises at least some level of, of concern about how, how effectively are those companies going to really consider the end user being the patient and, and what it means for them, as well as what it seems to be so often in this case. I don't know if antagonistic is the right way to say it, but uh, it just, I mean, we're on the medical side, on the, the physician side of this equation, there's, there's us um, in the healthcare practice that's kind of painted as the reason why costs are so great. We're doing all these things. And then we've got the other side that that's paying for it, that, that, um, you know, is, is influencing what people perceive you to be Dr. Dr. Rogers in terms of how you're going about it. And, you know, from all of our discussion, I mean, have any kind of possible solutions emerged at all? I mean, obviously activism uh, being, you know, as, as we talk to our listeners who are physicians and part of the medical community, being active and being involved with Medical Association of Georgia, for example, which is clearly uh, very, um, very strong in its advocacy for, you know, the physicians that, that are part of its members. But I mean, it seems like patients or people who would be patients need to understand some of these things that, that, you know, the doctor isn't the enemy here. So, so this is what I'd like to see. For, first of all, for emergency care, that needs to be a necessary covered benefit for all plans with a very small out-of-pocket expense, regardless of the deductible, regardless of whether you're in or out of network. Second, I'd like to see better education of the patients, the consumers, on really what their obligation is, because I don't think they really understand what they're buying. And third, I need the legislators, I need the insurance commissioner to hold the insurance industry's feet to the fire and force them to really negotiate with the physicians in Georgia on, on a fair payment using data that is transparent and valid. And I assume that there's plenty of that around as far as going back to what you talked about, usual and customary rates for given pieces of you know, there, there is. And, and, of care. and if they did that, if they negotiated with us fairly, this huge impact of balance billing would go away. Right. And then the, and, and Dr. Rogers referenced it a few minutes ago when he talked about the Ingenix database. Um, in 2009, um, I believe that, in, that, that database was uh, found to be a subsidiary of United Healthcare, 
And the others, the other insurers were using that database to look at out-of-network charges and to try to base it upon usual and customary. And the Attorney General uh, Cuomo up in New York uh, came forth and did a study and saw the impact that it was having on consumers. And there were some record fines that were given out in New York against the insurance industry. And the Ingenics database was essentially then um, taken out of being used for usual and customary. But those are some of the challenges that the physicians are dealing with and that patients need to understand is that um, this information is not being readily available to the physicians from the insurance industry, nor does there seem to be um, really a, a working with the physicians, especially in some of the rural communities where you do have these physician shortages. Mm-hmm. And, and I would imagine that the narrow networks that we've talked about really make that a challenge. It's already challenging to incentivize physicians to plant their flag in small town Georgia. Um, but if I can't get a contract that's going to actually pay me to do my work, they're not going to go there. Especially what we've seen in, in, in we on some of the previous uh, radio shows that we've done, we've talked about the narrow networks. Yeah. And we have areas of the state where a, a certain insurance product was being uh, being sold with a certain network. And when you looked at the network, uh, those physicians that were listed as primary care physicians were hospitalists. And hospitalists generally don't have an and outside you can't make of an appointment with them. Exactly. You've got to be in the hospital. Exactly. <laughs> they don't have an out-of-hospital out of, out of practice, right? Right. And then we also uh, noticed that some of the physicians had moved out of the community years before that, but yet they were still listed on the network. Now, let's say you're a patient moving into that community. You don't know any of these doctors. You're trying to buy an insurance product with an insurance network, and you find out that a lot of your care is going to have to be outside of the area that you're going to be living. How does that make any sense? How is that fair for the patient? You're 30, 60 miles to go see your doctor. So what did the patient really buy? That's the real issue, is that the patient doesn't know what they're buying because it's not as transparent as it should be, and these lists constantly change. And this is before the mergers even take place. The question is, what happens when these mergers do take place to patients and to physicians? And one of the things that we've talked about as far as why, why are those networks getting narrow was to curb costs. And we talked about the challenge with some of the logic that went behind that, saying, if I'm a physician who takes care of certain, I guess, higher acuity or more complex cases within that specialty, whatever that may be, maybe I'm a neurologist and I take care of a lot of uh, epilepsy or whatever the case may be, something that's a little bit more complex, the, the care is more involved, so therefore it tends to be more expensive and makes my aggregate number as a billing physician be skewed by the fact that I, I'm, I'm a specialist and I, I'm the guy that you call when this patient's really bad and they need somebody really special, you send them to me. But now that, that kind of ends up, it sounds like oftentimes excluding me from being included in a, net, in a network because I'm too expensive. Is, Abs- that, is that, that kind of how, how, how it flows? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we've seen that on the neurology side uh, with patients with multiple sclerosis, mm-hmm. where patients, um, somebody in the community is known as the neurologist to go to for this particular, you know, for the condition. The other neurologist will be put into the network that neurologists will be excluded because they're a higher cost. And the reality is they're a higher cost because they're treating more complex patients. So who is advocating? Because clearly, you know, the Medical Association of Georgia is, is about advocating for the physician practice environment and obviously, ultimately, for patient outcomes by being able to let the physician operate and uh, be willing to cover and take care of everything that comes their way. Who's advocating for the patient in terms of educating them about all of this? The physicians are the strongest advocate for patients. Truly. Uh, how do we get this information to the patient? That, that's what I'm saying. Is, 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 is there anybody out there? Are there resources of information that if somebody's listening today, for example, that's a patient, not a doctor, that they can go to start so they can begin to learn and, and understand, wow, this is what the real picture is that we're dealing with and be able to talk to people about it? We, we do work with some uh, patient advocacy groups, such as uh, Georgians for a Healthy Future, especially you know, in, in the local area, in the, in, in the Georgia area. Um, plus, we're... Uh, there are some groups that uh, the American Medical Association works with on a national level, patient advocacy groups. But again, I think to Dr. Rogers' point, it is the physician 
having that relationship with their patients and being that advocate for their patients because when we talk to patients and we, we, we do focus groups and have those discussions with them on what is important, they always refer to the physician-patient relationship and they trust the doctor. And in this new world that has developed where we've got um, some, some information out there that's not really understandable on the insurance side, the physicians are having a tough time really understanding when is it a coinsurance, when is it a copay, when is it a deductible, when right. am I out of network? Because <laughs> more often than not, they get knocked out of network without mm. even realizing Yeah, they don't even know. Don't even know. And, and so then all of a sudden, and it's, it's not like in, in 10 years ago where you'd buy an HMO, PPO, or POS type product. Now what you're buying is the HMO, PPO, and the POS. In addition to now you've got to really look at the networks because the networks are not the same. The networks are a cost factor into the premium. And so that's what the physicians are looking at is that Dr. Rogers may be on four HMOs from X insurer, but they may have eight other HMOs that Dr. Rogers is not aware of. And so when he gets the call and says, are you on this HMO? Yes, I am. Without realizing, yeah, you're on these HMOs. You're not on this, this particular one. And so then the patient comes in and they get that situation like, wait a second, now I'm out of network. Now I'm getting a bill I didn't expect. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I couldn't tell you what network I'm on or, or not on right now. I have no idea. Wow. That, that's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, and, and, you know, we're talking to the physician that's, that's got the contracts and how is the patient themselves who's trying to understand and trying to do what their policy dictates. They can't, it's very challenging for them to, to know, oh, I need to go over here. I need to go over there to try to stay in network because as we've already talked about, my cost as a patient's already gone up significantly. But it really goes back to uh, fair payment and full benefit of their premium, right? So they're paying premiums to the insurance company with the intent that they're going to pay for the care that they're going to need. That's and, right. And, and that's not happening. And, as, as, and until the insurance industry is going to pay fairly, the network is going to remain narrow, and the need for balance billing is going to remain and grow. But if there's fair payment that's negotiated with the physicians on behalf of the patients, that balance billing will go away because the networks will begin to broaden. What has been stated to be the reason why my premium is going up, but so is my obligation? My deductible also went up. Do you see what I'm saying? Both went up. Both, both I'm paying more to have it, but I also got to pay more when I go to the doctor. Yeah, and so we kind of call that functionally uninsured, at least for a period of time, because the amount sure. of your deductible up front has really gone. I mean, I think on silver plans, it's averaging about $6,000. Yeah, I was just going to say, it was the big trumpet was, no longer is anybody going to go bankrupt because they had to go to the hospital. I'm like, really? For $50,000 a year family? Stroking a check for $6,500 isn't going to be a challenge for so, that? So if you think about it, you're uninsured for that first 6000 Yeah. Right? It's all on you. you got to pay all you. of it. It's all on you. Yeah. And, and, and imagine if these mergers happen. So imagine the impact that it's going to be on patients. I mean, first you're looking at the quantity of physicians because you've got these narrow networks, right? So you're going to have less physicians just by virtue of the narrow networks that are being developed by the plans. So that's why patients should really be concerned. Also, patients should really be concerned because of a quality issue. Because what happens? When these mergers happen, they get bigger, they ratchet down the rates on the physicians. Physicians in their offices are trying to run on a certain margin. Now they've got less money to invest in electronic medical records, into all the meaningful use programs and everything else that's required by the federal government. So what ends up happening? They've got to, they've got to cut corners somewhere. So if you're a practice out in rural Georgia and you've got, you're the physician and you've got four other providers in your practice and five administrative employees, which is an actual case, who do you have to fire when all of a sudden your, ratchet, your, your, your payments keep getting ratcheted down? Mm-hmm. It, it's not going to be the provider because you need the, the office administrator. You need the five people working on the administration in the office, which is completely unrelated to health care, in order to keep the practice functioning. So now you lose another provider in the community. And don't forget, what's happening on the physician side is also happening on the hospital side. The payments to them is also going down. And this really threatens particularly the rural hospitals. 
we've seen that play out here. Oh, in yeah, many, many hospitals over the country have over the closed co- down. Over the country, 13% of rural hospitals are at risk. In Mississippi, it's a third. A third of their hospitals are at risk I mean, of closing. I mean, that's huge. It's huge. It has a devastating economic impact to the local community. But it also puts patients in jeopardy. That's what I was going to say was the survivability of events like stroke or heart attack or trauma where the golden rule or the golden hour, rather, is so important. For time-sensitive conditions, their outcomes are worse. We really need to find a way of preserving that access. And the way to do that is to pay fairly, both at the hospital and to the physician. From a public relations kind of perspective, in terms of educating the public, that, I mean, I, I, I'm personally, I get a little frustrated when we, I, I don't wax political on our shows, really, but from a, you know, I guess a p- slightly political comment, I, I've been very aggravated over the last few years. I guess maybe we've done it all, all along, but it just seems like more and more, we, we really try to play to that person over there makes a whole lot of money. So they got to be punished somehow for, for that. You got to, you, you know, trusting the fact that many people that are hearing your message are going to never believe that they could ever get there. Right. And when we look at healthcare, for example, in our physicians, you know, uh, you know, my, my uh, daughter's mother, who is a physician and an oral surgeon, um, had to go to school. I think it was total of 14, it was 12 or 14 years before she began earning money and earned, uh, owed $300,000 when she got out. Um, I guess from my perspective, for somebody that I'm going to trust with the life of my loved ones or myself, um, that I hope that they are very well educated, that they put in a lot of time learning. And I, I don't really want to go to the person going, dude, I always wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, given the time and, and treasure that it has to be committed to get to practice as a physician. I, I personally don't have a problem one with a physician being able to earn a good living doing what they do. Um, but, but it seems to me that that's kind of been the, the slant of a, a lot of this information coming out is those physicians are just making too much. We're trying to save Medicare. We're, so we're going to pay the physicians less. That's, that's been the approach. And seems like much of what we're talking about here today is very, very similar. So how do you how do you get to where you can negotiate those fair rates for the physicians that will keep those physicians willing to practice and taking care of the things that needs to be taken care of and, and, and help educate the public at the same time that, look, this is, this is why it costs what it costs. It's not just because I want to drive a nice car. I want to live in a nice neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? How do, how do we educate the public that this is why it costs what it costs and this is why that's fair? I think one of to, to educate the public is is to continue to have the physicians and having that relationship with their patients. That's one. Two is to get the the message out there right now. And there hasn't been a whole lot of um, there's been some coverage on this, but probably needs to be more. Directly to your point, physicians are coming out anywhere from 175 to 250 thousand dollars in debt. Right. Okay. Right off the bat. That's going to take years. Exactly. They have bought a house somewhere. They just don't know where it is. I mean, that's what it comes down to. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Take that monthly note over 30 years and, and that's what they're doing. And so they've got this high debt and then you're asking them to go to, you know, they, they want to go to rural areas or they want to be in the city. Well, the challenge in some of the rural areas is the payer mix. You've got very high Medicaid where Medicaid is the payer. And we all know that Medicaid pays less than the cost of providing the care. So physicians practice they can't take 40% Medicaid and make margins. They just can't because they are um, an employer in those communities. They're one of the biggest employers when they come to those communities, but they also improve the health of the community because now there's access to care. And instead of when we hear insurance companies call physicians greedy, how about focusing on the fact that, hey, wait, this is somebody that goes to a community. They, they, there's an economic benefit to the community. There's an improvement of health in the community access to care. Why are we not helping those physicians go to those areas? And then that can address the physician shortage. And so, you know, the, the payers run into these challenges where they're, you know, they want to, their way of saving on premium is to sit there and to ratchet down the physicians. Right. Well, it's only at a certain point. There's only so much the physicians can do because then they can't run the office. And if you're not running the office, then you lose a physician in that community. And look at the hospitals that are closing around the state right now. I mean, that's so now you've just lost access to care in a community. 
And let's not even talk about the level of, of care that, that certain hospitals, depending if they're a trauma center or level one, level two, depending on what type of, of hospital and services they can provide. So that's the challenge that, that I think the physicians and the patients have is getting that message out because there's been a, a, a campaign against physicians that we Absolutely. have seen am, yeah. where it's physicians are greedy, physicians are, are billing too much, and physicians are doing this. Well, let's talk about the debt that physicians have. Let's talk about what physicians bring to a community, and, the, and those are some of the challenges. So um, we embrace our obligation to care for patients whether they can pay or not. One thing you need to understand is that at least emergency physicians provide over $150,000 of free care per year. Each one. Each. Yes. Each. And that's that's a lot of patients. Yeah. So um, you kind of have to offset a lot of this, right? And that's a lot of what you're paying for is um, paying for other people. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I know that a lot of the, the people that, tune into our shows here on the network and ours included tend to be somewhat educated, mostly college educated professionals. Are there places that people can go if they want to test out what we're talking about in terms of where can they go to get some valid information on what is like usual and customary and those types of trends that would show why physicians bill what they bill and, and have more objective. Is there any kind of resource out there? I don't know. We, we provide information on our website uh, at www.mag.org. Uh, we have information on there regarding some of the breaking news, breaking issues. Um, and, and obviously health insurance is one of our major topics uh, right now. But we also have a lot of other things um, that, that highlight what physicians are doing in the community. Um, there also are other websites such as uh, the AMA has, uh, has information out there, the American Medical Association, um, as they are dealing with this issue on a national level. And that's what I'm hoping to do is to inspire those folks who are checking us out to be able to go out and, and look into some of these things for themselves so that they don't just take a, a quote from a news broadcast, for example, where this company uh, that's hoping to merge with another large company talks about cost. Be, I, want, I want our folks that are listening to us to be able to get educated from maybe hopefully an objective or at least both sides of the argument so that they can make some decisions for themselves versus just being led down what suits somebody from a fiduciary perspective. Yeah, and, and I think w- one of the asks that we would have, especially on this, uh, on this balanced billing issue, is if you were a patient and you have received a, balance, a, a, a bill from a physician when, when that physician was out of network for care that you received and um, the bill was greater than $500 and you paid it, please email me. I'll put my email out there uh, for people to email me directly. And that's at dpalmisano, which is D-P-A-L-M-I-S-A-N-O at mag.org, M-A-G.org. And I know, Donald, he will certainly get back to you with that kind of information. Do we have other things that we need to cover while we got you here in the studio? I would say that um, as as the mergers continue to develop, they'll probably um, be under study for the next 12 months to 18 months. It's going to be a long process. Um, as part of the process, the Commissioner of Insurance Office will have uh, will have a public hearing at one point um, to to look at the mergers themselves. And I would encourage people to to actively follow the Commissioner of Insurance website and um, and also to participate in the hearing process because. Um, like all elected officials, they want to hear where, how, how the consumers, how the patients, how the public is affected and impacted by these type of things. So there truly is some measure of opportunity for me as Joe Citizen to interact with the people that are going to be ultimately making the decision. Does this go this way or not? Correct. And what we're doing on behalf of physicians is we recently sent a letter to the Department of Justice outlining our concerns and being opposed to these mergers and asking them to... to uh, really scrutinize these mergers and to see if this is really what's best for patients because I think the physicians have spoken at our board of directors meeting which is over 40 physicians and they determined that these mergers would not be good for uh, physicians and their patients. So uh, our letters on our website uh, that was sent to the Department of Justice um, you'll be seeing more and more information out there about our opposition to these mergers and patients um, you know come to our website because that will be a resource um, as more and more information continues to come out. 
Well, it's been a treat having you all here in the studio today. Donald Pomisano, Executive Director and CEO of Medical Association of Georgia, and of course, one of the members of House of Delegates from Bibb County and uh, a medical director in Macon, Dr. John Rogers, also sharing some input from a physician perspective to talk about the, the changes that are being proposed right now with some large companies in the insurance space merging together, which would really create for all practical purposes a, a 90%, in some cases, monopoly and giving both physicians uh, limited opportunity to get what would probably be described as a fair and objective contract opportunity, as well as for patients to be able to have some measure of choice for physicians they want to see. I was, I was told I could keep my doctor if I like my doctor. It doesn't sound like that's always the case. Um, so, you know, get educated out there. And, and, and as Donald talked about, go to the Medical Association of Georgia website at mag.org. Go to the AMA and at least get both sides. Don't just listen to uh, what, say, an insurance company or, or a person in the news has to say to you. Try to look for information from all the sides so that we can, as, as consumers of this care and uh, as people who are obviously so significantly impacted financially by this facet of our, of our spend on, a national, on an annual basis, we want to be educated consumers. And it sounds like there are opportunities, as Donald was describing, to actually interface with those who have to make decisions about, well, do we allow this or not? And if we are a silent majority, then uh, then things may not go our way that we could have uh, affected. So we're hopeful that the folks out there listening will not only share our information, but also take the time to go and get themselves educated so they can talk about it and create some conversations in the community. So guys, I really appreciate you uh, taking some time. And the folks out there in the community, if you've been listening to us on the podcast, if you go to the upper left-hand corner of the show page, you'll see the Apple logo there. We hope you follow that over to the iTunes store on the Top Docs Radio Show podcast and subscribe to us so that each week the new episode will be downloaded straight to your device. You can listen to us on your way to work or walking the dog, whatever the case may be for you. And as I mentioned, hopefully you'll turn around and share this on your social media. We're trying to put this information out there for everyone to consume so that they can be more educated and know what's going on in the healthcare community. Uh, and for the folks who made us a part of your day today, I really want to say thank you very much. We really appreciate your time, and we hope to see you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. 